Judy Carter, and this is the Power of Purpose podcast, where we explore how to live a purposeful life and how creative people like yourself can make a living doing what you love. And that's exactly what my guest today has done. I want you to meet Allie Willis. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, I want you to meet the author of some of the hits we've been listening to our whole life, an amazing artist, an incredible incredible party thrower and recently inducted in the 2018 songwriters hall of fame it's Allie willis hello <laughs> thank god i'm not wearing the same shirt i almost did oh well thank god i didn't put all of my uh, gold records gold behind me too that's that right. would be such a faux pas <laughs> i Allie. I want to I want to start with uh, we all know your success, okay? But I want to start with 1978 and you're on food stamps. I want to start with that person um, at the beginning of your journey and just tell me a little bit about that. Okay, uh, but I want to preface it with I still feel like I'm at the beginning of my journey. Um, for a, a variety of uh, purposes, um, one of which is a variety of purposes, a variety of reasons. Um, one is still not doing what I think I'm actually uh, capable of getting there, but it's you know taking multiple decades. Um, and also, so much of my career has been working on specs, so uh, the money is not what one would. Um, assume. So I just want to um, preface everything with that. So someone, uh, you know, anyone participating in this understands that I am still searching as well. With that said, um, I have always been aware of my purpose and I've always consciously gone after it. And I choose things to do in my career um, purposefully because it's going to allow me to kind of bust through the next psychological block. So uh, 1978 though, um, I had, when I graduated college, which was 1969, I went to University of Wisconsin. I majored in journalism, minored in advertising, uh, got a job as a copywriter um, at Columbia Records. Um, and was writing for all the female and the black acts, the minority category, which was all I cared about anyway. Uh, first person was Janis Joplin, but what, you know, went on to work with, um, see, even you didn't know that. Judy and I have known each other for 458 years. So, 455. Oh, I have a picture. Should I show them the picture? You can show them. All right, let's 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 look at the picture. She, uh, Allie sent oh, me that. My shoes, yeah. Now Allie is still oh. living in the same place. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. Is, that that was 1982. That is 82. And we knew and, each other for a few years already then. Oh yeah, and here's what <laughs> this is what's amazing. Allie throws the best parties because everybody who comes to the party would be kind of considered is is so successful at being something that that someone that doesn't fit in that's what i got from 
from your parties. Yeah. You know, that, that everybody got successful doing things in a very offbeat way. And so very often we come to her party as characters. And here was a character that I actually came to. Okay, that was brilliant. brilliant. just out of prison and um you couldn't play excellent i couldn't play i could only play yeah. one song anniversary waltz <laughs> and i just play it over and over again and people would come up can you play something else and i just go go fuck no. yourself but what was what was so good about it um is that if you didn't know judy you would not have known that that was a character because at my parties, if you were consciously a character, I, I would have thrown you out. Because I really basically have collected people my whole life and my whole career. And I go after people who do things in a very distinctive uh, manner. And I don't care whether you're an A-list movie star or a plumber, you have to be like of a certain brain frame. And everyone at my parties is that, and it's all different kinds of people. So they, I am sure, thought that Judy was just someone else that I had found and was fascinated with and was, was playing at the party. And the fact that she was bad, I love listening to bad musicians more than I like listening to good uh, musicians, but bad who play with passion, not understanding that they're bad. If you're constantly <laughs> bad, or if you're seriously suck, I'm not interested. But so let's anyway. go back. Let's go back to yeah. 1978 because you, you've yeah. Okay. Some so, people that um, were just going, what? She works. Yes, I, I know. What does all that mean? Um, yeah, let's go back there. Okay. You're out of college. Somehow, journalism school. It got the job at the record company. Um, absolutely loved it because I was working around artists, you know, that I love. I had no musical skills. I still have no musical skills. I don't know how to play. Um, I don't know how to read music. I don't know how to notate music. But um, before 1978, I grew up in Detroit uh, when Motown was coming up. And that was a massive, massive... Um, uh, influence on me. So I just worship music. Then I get the job in the record company. Um, then I went out and bought a piano and a reel-to-reel -reel tape recorder and I wrote three songs and I took them to my boss at the record company and without telling them who I was, he took it all the way to the top, which at that point was Clive Davis. And I actually got a, a deal and couldn't tell him who it was because it would have been a conflict of interest. Um, my very first. Wait, I have a question here. I yes. have a question here. I have to, because I, I have to ask, stop you here one second. Yes. Because you can't notate music. You don't play a, um, an instrument. Did you, how, how, how did you record on your reel to reel tape recorder a song? Well, at that point, I, 
found uh, I found someone who uh, played better than me that I co-wrote a couple songs with. But for the most part, I was just kind of searching and finding the keys and then hitting it. And, you know, just kind of going along. Um, you know, I, my theory is to do anything. You don't need to know how to do it. You just have to want to do it and then figure out some way you can do it with the skills that you have, which in my case... Okay. Let me ask you, because I'm sorry to interrupt you again, because I really want to understand, because I know the mindset of a lot of the people who are listening to this, yeah. and a lot of people feel like a fraud. Like they, 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 they study, they're there, and then they get paid and they go, why me? I feel like a fraud. How did you avoid these feelings of like, wait a second, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I can't no, do that. I, I how, how does your mind work? I didn't avoid them. I knew I had to deal with them because I wanted to do it so badly. So when I first hit, I'm going to skip a lot of stuff and just go to 1978. Um, I was getting food stamps. I was on um, uh, getting medical assistance as close as you could be to full out welfare as possible. And um, a friend of mine started sleeping with someone in Earth, Wind and Fire and uh, said to someone else in Earth, Wind and Fire, well, you should really write with Allie. So I started writing with Verdine White, the bass player. He said, I'm gonna tell my brother Maurice about you. I didn't think that would ever happen. He was my favorite singer in the world, Earth, Wind and Fire, my favorite group. And I literally got a call uh, one night just asking me not to write a song, asking me to co-write the entire next Earth, Wind and Fire album. And I went in the next day. We started writing September within five minutes. I had a whole string of hits with them. September, Boogie Wonderland. I wrote all but two songs on the I Am album. Then the whole thing exploded. At first, you are just coasting along on energy because everyone wants to work with you after no one would pay attention to you. But for me... I was pretty much a speed read, a speed writer. I'm very uh, spontaneous. I hear everything in my head. Um, so I'm writing, honestly, I was getting over 100 songs cut a year at that point, which means you're writing hundreds more. Now, and, hold on, Allie, hold on one second. So, yes. so you had said that what drove you wasn't, you know, um, that you learned any of this, you just had these ideas in your head and you wrote them and you didn't know how to play music, but somehow you, you, you wrote songs. Um, at any point, did you go like, do I need to take a class in this? Uh, <laughs> I tried. I tried vocal lessons. I tried piano lessons. I tried guitar lessons. <laughs> vocal lessons, forget it. I don't have patience for that. Um, uh, guitar and piano, as soon as I would start doing scales, I would start hearing melodies. So I just never did it. So I'm, I'm very bad at lessons. I'm kind of bad at instruction. So your in sense of purpose, your sense of purpose, um, it came from... Loving music. Loving ah, music. So it came from listening to music, loving music, and somehow you had the confidence that the songs in your head 
you just heard them, right? Or yes, but then as soon as success hit and I started having opportunities all over the place, the feeling of um, I'm not good anymore, I'm a fraud, I mean, all that stuff, people, that doesn't disappear with success. In fact, it didn't even hit me until I was successful. So, um, but I was someone who always was kind of conscious of who I was and what I was going through. Um, and I knew that if I let those feelings continue, it would hate, it would make me hate what I was doing. So I had to really watch myself very carefully and then eventually walked away from my uh, career. And it wasn't uh, very soon, almost as soon as September became a hit. Uh, and I was getting over 100 songs, uh, cut a year, as I said. I was ready to like, uh, th this is not going to last. I'm writing too many of these. The meaning is going out of the songs. A lot of people at that point, because they assumed that I was just a lyricist, um, because I couldn't play and because I wrote with so many male groups, um, uh, started just sending me tracks to write lyrics to. And that really pushed me away because I was writing a lot of times in order to get on albums with these superstars, but I didn't feel the songs were very good. Had I co-written the music, it would have changed it by five. And I felt horrible because here I had this unbelievable career that seemingly fell out of the sky but as an artist, I was completely uh, dissatisfied. And the more success I had, the further away I felt I was getting from my essence. And it led to uh, many torturous years, but it was a blessing in disguise because it pushed me into other things besides music, which I what just- What were you doing? What were you, so, so, so now I can understand that like, you're getting paid an acknowledgement and all this and success, but you're feeling like you're a factory of some sort. I, I, I just felt like whatever was special about me in the beginning, whatever made Earth, Wind and Fire uh, and a couple other people that gave me breaks, Bonnie Raitt being one of them, whatever they saw in me, I felt had disappeared by just my music was all over. Uh, the place and I wasn't writing the kinds of songs that I knew I was capable of but if you know it, it is very hard to say no to these massive people when they're asking you and that part of it is exciting and always I was as interested in whether someone would make a good party guest as if they would be a music collaborator. In fact, I was more interested in the parties because the parties were the only way that I could express myself in everything that I do, not, not just sonically, visually, uh, lifestyle, you know, everything. So um, I was kind of uh, torn there, but, uh, and it was also- no, Wait a second, wait a second, we're, we're a little confused here. So how you, you're going, you're torn between being writing hits to, gee, I want to throw parties. Now, most people in most people's brains, they would never think of throwing a party as a part of a career. So you need to explain that. Okay. A little. So when I did music, 
I was only coming in to either write the music and lyrics or just write the lyrics or just write the music. Once it would go to the artist, it's theirs to do with what they want. So you're only involved in a very limited period of time in the life of a record. Parties, first of all, I, I lived um, and still do uh, in a house that was built as the party house for MGM in 1937. So the house does half the work for me. But I had been a collector. I had started collecting as soon as I graduated college. Um, uh, started with and still primarily focused on things from the 50s, 60s, and 70s, uh, modern, kitsch, uh, soul, artifacts, and furniture, and clothing, and pencils, and cars, really everything. Um, so I lived in this very visual uh, environment. And then for the parties, I would be inviting them into this environment that feels very free flow and creative. I would design the invitations. I would MC the parties. I'm on mic the whole time at my parties. So you hear every conversation I have with, with everyone. I would build sets. I, you know, it was just, uh, it was a 100% artistic expression, where in music, it was this small little piece, a very important piece, because there's nothing without the song, but creatively, it wasn't satisfying. It, it just wasn't enough for me. So the parties, which I started throwing about four times a year, and I don't, you know, it wasn't like I invited people and I called a caterer and I hired a band and then they show up. It was none of that. Every single thing was handmade. The parties were usually potluck. Um, the, the, you know, I would work on these for months and months and then I would have the parties, then I would sleep for a week and then I'd start on the next one. So it was like throwing a Broadway show every, you know, four months. But it really got to the point where the same thing started happening with the parties that started happening with the music, where all of a sudden you feel pressure. It went from being this, oh, I just want to do this, I'm having so much fun, to, now, you know, I'm in magazines about the parties, I'm in papers about the parties, I'm on TV, and now-, now Did you try that? Did you pursue that? Did you go like, okay, now I'm, um, I'm gonna get known for having parties, I'm gonna- No, it just, it made me more interesting to people doing the stories that I wasn't just a songwriter. It was a songwriter who was more interested in throwing these art expressions, you know. They were like performance art parties, I guess. Um, but, uh, but I, anyway, I felt the same thing, but this time I understood what was happening to me that it, it you know, I started out just doing it cause I loved it and then it turned into a whole thing. And then I inevitably felt the pressure. Um, and it just, you know, it stopped being fun. It started being more pressure than fun. Um, and I went through a whole series of careers uh, because I was a set designer, I was a, you know, fine artist, painting and sculptures and, you know, everything. I uh, jumped insanely deep into technology in the early 90s. Mark Cuban was my CEO. I was the first person ever to come up with the concept for a social network. 
91 very early. But I would have the same pattern in all of these things, just jump in. And I would never leave what I was doing. I would take what I loved about songwriting. I would take what I loved about the parties, the art, try and push it into the next thing I was interested in. But I, there was this pattern of piling things on and then kind of becoming dissatisfied. Eventually I viewed all of it as an absolute blessing because I was very clear on what I loved about what I was doing and what made me miserable. And I realized maybe 10 years ago, maybe, uh, that all of it was really about the pursuit of happiness. It wasn't the exact thing I was doing. It's just, am I creatively satisfied? Am I satisfied in my life? Um, and that that's the path that I would take. But it was, you know, it was 40 years of hell getting to you're doing, you know, you're doing what you're supposed to do. You had the guts to um, walk away um, from things that, that weren't satisfying you and always ready to just risk it all to do whatever I found creatively exciting next. Now, let me let me ask you. I, I I totally understand what you're talking about. I mean, uh, feeling like, well, I've been so successful at this, but is this what I was born to do? You know, yeah. or maybe this is this what I'm supposed to do now? Yeah. Do you do you um, feel that your mind um, creates ideas, and what is your relationship with ideas? Do you have, like, do you feel like you have to pursue them? How do you pick the ideas that are going to bring you happiness and fulfill having a sense of purpose? And how many of your ideas are like, oh, my God, you know, I had this idea and now I'm involved in all of this and, and it's killing me. How do you differentiate? Um, okay. I'm a, a fanatic note taker and archivist. So... Uh, right from the beginning, I would write uh, any idea I had, I would write it down. So even if it was something that wasn't pursued, um, I would always have it. So I never really felt like ideas got away from me. Um, and I would have an innate, I could get an innate feeling, just like when I'm writing a song. I can tell when it's starting to flow, and I can tell when it's, you know, stillborn. Um so the ideas, the ones, the, the big broad ideas of, okay, you're going to do this now, I, I could feel that inside. But, you know, certainly, and this happens to this day, you are going to hear no 150,000 times more than you're going to hear yes. So, you know, a lot, of, a lot of this was, you know, consciously working on myself not to let someone not believing in me or, you know, writing something and then it, it's not used. All that stuff is very painful. You got it, but it's reality. It's it happens for everyone until you get to maybe a Lady Gaga status, you know? Well, let's, let's, we, we have some questions here um, from, from the people who are listening and um, uh, uh, Karina wants to know about the monetization of artistry. 
Um, I'm the wrong one to ask about that. Why is that, Allie? I mean, I mean, um, how, do you have advice? There, there, people who are struggling, they, they, they know they're su supposed to do something. They're on purpose to either they're, they want to be a speaker, they want to get their ideas out, they want to be a writer, they come, whatever it is, and they're doing it, but they, they can't somehow make a living on uh, does that mean that they're not on purpose the no. if, if if you didn't get you know earth wind and fire and you're still kind of writing i mean would things have changed what i uh, know because i have been broke most of my career first of all i'm a self-funded artist and my ideas tend to be big uh like take years a lot of them the last couple projects of mine each one took five years so I have never escaped the, you know, financial peril. It could all end, you know, but I'm so driven by the idea and I'm so satisfied pursuing the idea, even though 50% of it is torture because that's just how it is when you're creative. Um, there was never any doubt in my mind that I was doing what I was supposed to do, even though at times I wasn't sure what I was supposed to be doing. You know, like some transitions took a few years of, um, you know, it's, it's the artist's life. And I would always calm myself down by understanding that. And uh, very, very, very important who you surround yourself with. Um, what do you mean by, talk a little more about that. What do you mean um, by that? You have to be around people who believe in what you do and they are motivated as well. Um, if, you know, um, it, it helps your mindset. I think you have to be very conscious of what conditions make you feel good and what don't. I'm very conscious that living where I live uh, inspires me. Living in Los Angeles inspires me. Um, what I collect, which is a kind of visual feast for the eyes, that's very important for the soul. The trick is to nurture your soul no matter what. Um, but if you're having trouble finding your purpose, you're gonna have a lot of trouble you know, finding your soul. But it's, it's, a, uh, it's a very worthy uh, journey. And well, here's, here's something, does, your purpose change? In other words, yeah, um, are you still expressing the same purpose, but in different forms? Um, I'm expressing it broader. I don't think at the beginning, uh, for, first of all, when I started writing songs, I mean, it's, it's you know, you want to have a hit. I mean, that's the purpose originally. Uh, but I realized very early on that I got to have these extraordinary relationships with people that I got to work with. And so it kind of broadened from a hit to having a very kind of satisfying uh, existence. Then uh, when I wrote a song uh, called Neutron Dance by the Pointer Sisters for Beverly Love Hill. that dance. <laughs> the um, Neutron Dance. Love that song. That was a very uh, socially conscious song to the point uh, that it got me named one of the most dangerous subversives living in the United States by the communist government. I, what? I didn't know that. 1985. Uh, I was one of the most dangerous subversives. They mistranslated it, Neutron Dance as Neutron Bomb. Oh. Uh, 
I was writing about like conditions on the street. You know, you can't pay your rent and the walls are cracking and, um, you know, the, uh, your love life exploded in, in, in a bad way. Um, and all of these things and someone could push the button tomorrow and we could all go up and smoke. And so if your life isn't working, get off your ass and change it, which to me is what the neutron dance was. Um, and from then on, I, when left to my own devices, lyrically, I would always want to write about some social condition. Then, uh, 2001, I got the gig to write The Color Purple, the, the musical. And what year was this? 2001. Although I was brought on in 1998 to consult on it. Uh, that being a great example, I thought, oh my God, who better to write this? If you look at the songs I've written, uh, no one knows I'm of this skin color and um, I'm like a logical choice. And one of my best friends at that time was producing uh, the musical. Um, and they called me up. They said, just got the rights to do the color purple as a musical. Let's go to dinner. I think, oh my God, they're going to ask me to write it. And at this point, I had been doing nothing but technology all of the 90s. So eight years. Wait, wait, ten, eight years. Okay, so eight, eight years. years, you're not writing music. No, I was writing music through 1994. Very last song I wrote when I officially had a publishing deal was the Friends theme. And I only wrote that to get out of my publishing deal. I owed a seventh of the song. They said, you write this TV theme, you are out. Um, so it was perceived that I kind of left with a bang, but I was actually crawling. Um, and by the way, I'm writing as much music now as basically as I ever did. So, you know, I go through periods where I have to leave it, but I do always come back. Um, so Color Purple, I had been so isolated off into, uh, technology, um, that I thought, oh my God, this is a great way to come back, even though I hated, uh, I shouldn't even make that past tense, theater. I am not especially a musical. You, you have to like chain me up with bowling balls tied to my feet to get me, to, you know, to carry me off to a theater. But it was the color purple. So, uh, you know, greatest story ever told. I'm not going to give that up. Um, anyway, long story short, that for me took things to a whole other level. It was such a story of uh, human survival and that you must believe in yourself. If you don't believe in yourself, you're nothing. And that if you have that power of self, you not only change yourself, you change everyone around you. It was just this incredible story. And from that point on, um, and I, I co-wrote that with Brenda Russell and Stephen Bray um, and, and Marsha Norman. Um, from that point on, I didn't want to be involved in anything ever again that didn't have a deep purpose. And that is my purpose, kind of driving on that topic. Because it takes a lot of guts to be yourself. Uh, really, one of yes. the hardest things. I, I, to do. You know, people are asking about um, failure, a little bit about failure. Yeah. Because you talk, you've talked a lot about your purpose and expression 
being authentic to your true soul as, as your, your purpose. And many times when we do that, and we are authentic, but it fails. It fails to, um, um, to, to get out there. It doesn't, nobody wants to buy it. Nobody wants to read it. Nobody wants to see it. How do you still, is that a failure then? Or how do you maintain you know, belief in yourself when you're not making money, when you're not you know, getting the reaction you want to get? How do you sustain that? Um, by understanding that that's the name of the game, that ultimately yeah. we are all alone. And ultimately, if you are not happy with yourself, it's not a rosy world. And so I clearly understood that rejection was a huge part of it, that I myself was consciously pulling myself out of the uh, spotlight because I was dissatisfied and I had to find a way to live with that. So first thing I realized was you got to be around positive people. You got to be around other people who have similar kind of uh, life beliefs. I am obsessed to this day with self-help books. You know, if I am like very depressed, I just you know, I, I mean, now just I go on YouTube, I find someone who's talking about whatever, you know, I'm going through. And I really, really work on keeping myself up. And I feel like the kind, you know, it's only this year that I feel like I've actually gotten acknowledged for what I do. This year, I don't know how this guy opened up and the awards just started. You know, coming down. After all this time. Yeah, no, like almost 50 years of like, you know, going for it. So you mentioned, Allie, that you mentioned that you are still seeking. You know, you are still seeking. So I know I've, I've seen your art. Um, well, it's not really your art. You created a persona called Bubbles the Artist. Yes. And I think you've come out that... Bubbles the Artist is you. Yeah, that was an invaluable experience. I had, uh, dis you know, again, disappeared into technology in the 90s. Um, really realized I missed writing songs. I missed painting. I missed doing all this linear, non-interactive stuff that I kind of had defied throughout the 90s. And um, I didn't know how to get back into the record business, how to get back into like painting. Uh, I, I mean, I could do it, but it's like you want someone to hear and see what you're doing. And I had always been intrigued with bad talent, but again, bad talent who did not realize they were bad. Um, my primary thing, and I know you, you will know this, I hope some of the people do, um, I managed a group called the Del Rubio Triplets. I love that. And I at the time, when I discovered them, they were 75. They wore mini skirts and go-go boots. They sang out of tune, but perfectly out of tune with each other. They played guitar completely on out of tune guitars, but perfectly in tune with the others. And um, I saw them and went nuts and had them it was when Neutron Dance was a hit and uh, Stir It Up, Patti LaBelle, and I had them learn it and play it at a party of mine. And um, 
I had always presented at my parties, because my parties would be filled with a lot of A-listers, the talent I wanted to expose them to was the Z-listers, but with heart. Again, these weren't, you know, you could just see the passion oozing from these people. And so after I didn't know how to come back into music or how to come back into art, I thought, well, I've always presented this bad talent, but I have never been the bad talent. So I came up with this, uh, I thought, what's the least appropriate name for an artist? Bubbles. And um, I sent out invitations and I said I had made my most important talent discovery since the Del Rubios. And um, I painted in one month, a hundred paintings. And I wrote little stories that went along with the paintings. And I hung them on clotheslines all around my yard. And then I invited everyone thinking, okay, I'm gonna do my painting career again. And nothing was selling. They were all like silent auctions. And I, the only names I recognized were, I knew were like my friends who were making up names to look like someone was bidding. And then right before, it was going from noon to six, at five o'clock, all of a sudden, the floodgates opened up. Everyone started bidding. And I ended up selling 92 of the 100 paintings. But these are all priced at like six. They started at $50. The most expensive one was $250. Um, and... Uh, then I realized, okay, you know, something's, I'm having fun with this and it's getting me back into art. And then Bubbles started doing bad music. And I was actually, I did the same thing I did with everything. I jumped into it. All of a sudden I'm painting hundreds, thousands of these paintings, but I'm not making any money, but I am at least it, like expressing myself. Um, and Bubbles, because the paintings were so cheap and I was the manager, I was not the artist. All of a sudden Bubbles could, I as the manager on behalf of Bubbles could start saying no to people. That was a big one. Cause you know, with music, you're writing for a film or TV, they're telling you what they want you to write. Um, you know, and in art, it's crazy. People will go, well, I love that painting, but I wish you could change the color to orange because that's the color of my couch. Well, when Allie was the artist, I would want the gig. I changed the color. Bubbles, it, because you're only paying $75. Shut the fuck up. Basically, that was the attitude. So having a persona really helped. I, we were coming to the end. And I, want to do a, I want to do a sum up, but there's a couple yeah, questions. Yeah. One question is, um, how has, has representation helped you at all? Or, you know, does getting, you know, managers and what have you? Um, I only have, I had managers at the beginning of my career. Um, no one really got me. It was very discouraged that you would be a songwriter, but you would also want to paint. So I never had great success with managers, never had an agent. Uh, publishers at the beginning of my career were very helpful um, because they used to act actively place records. They don't really do that anymore. And I really only have my first manager in decades now that I've had for a few months. And I feel like it's changing my life, but um, only because I feel like I've done enough footwork 
and it's accepted now that you could be a multimedia artist, do a lot of different things. And, and um, uh, for the some... most part, no, it's just no, it just comes from you. And now, um, I wouldn't suggest that to anyone, by the way. If you can get a great manager or a great agent, yeah, do it. Okay, um, so uh, what's next for Ali Willis? I mean, we started this off with. Um, I'm still seeking, I'm still pursuing. Yeah. You hate um, theater, but rumor has it you're doing it. So what's up with that? I'm um, uh, performing always terrified me. And I always realized that performing was the missing link because people would know who I was if I was doing it and they could see I did more than one thing. So the performances, which I started with a disastrous performance about five years ago. Um, I, I started performing when I had a record out. I jumped off the stage in the middle of my own show in 1974 and didn't come back till 2011. Uh, did a disastrous performance, knew if I didn't get up again and do it, it would be over. And um, have been performing ever since having a ball, but it took me understanding what I was gonna be comfortable with and what I wasn't. I was not gonna be comfortable as a singer-songwriter. Um, I was comfortable as a party host. So I realized that's who I am on stage. I do all the songs and sing-alongs, they all know the songs. What the fuck am I worried about whether my voice <laughs> um, I, I saw that show. Super yeah, I auction off stuff from my collection. I throw candy to the audience. I do what I would do as if you were over at my house. But that, you know, took me years to kind of figure out that's who I was on stage. Now it's my favorite thing to do. But I am, you know, booking myself. I'm paying for everything. And so I am consciously now, first time ever, going, you know, you you need to make money doing this and you this is what you want to do. And so now, rather than just indulging my artistic side, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, dealing with the business side as well. And that for me is a new thing. Well, this has been wonderful talking to you. I've written some notes, so I just wanna go over some of the points you talked about because, um, you said that, you know, purpose really drove you from inside. It wasn't like, now I have to learn how to do this and this and this, that, that, that the sense of purpose drove you forward. Um, and, and what I've learned from you is that even successful people, no matter how successful they, they are, they still can feel like a fraud. Yeah. Um, and what you do is you, you follow your purpose to, to where it leads you um, from inside. Um, and that artistic expression is, can come in all different forms, even, even throwing parties. And it's not what we do, it's how we do what we do. And where does that come from within ourselves? You also talked about the relationship between loving yourself and your own purpose and coming closer to that as, as finding your pur purpose is really in creation and your career creation is the pursuit of happiness. Yeah. And, and that real purpose is, 
is you know it. You are doing what you are supposed to do. And, and that also can change. That you write down every single idea. Not, I probably, you don't pursue them all, but at least you record yeah. them. And the challenge of leading a creative life is hearing no more than yes, but keep getting up. And, and that in America, it's very often necessary to be a self-funded um, artist, not yeah. waiting for someone to pay you, but, but doing that and not everybody can do that, but it's part of what you do. Well, and I, I add one teeny little quick thing to that. Please. That, that because I don't want people to think, oh, she's got all this stuff, you know, she can afford to do what her ideas are. That is not uh, true. So for me, it was how do I work with no budget and figure out how to do this uh, uh, creatively? And your ideas are like this, but for me, it kind of defined my whole style that I had to bring it down to this. Right, because you're not getting corporate sponsorship or anything. Yeah, that your limits, uh, don't fight your limits. Go, okay, how can I make this, make me do this in a fashion that no one else is doing it in? Because most of them have budgets to function with. And I found this one to be one of the most important one is to surround yourself with creative, like-minded yes. people who support Unbelievably you. important. Yeah, I have one friend who's so toxic and it's just like, I don't tell her anything I'm doing because it's always shot down. Yeah. No. And nurture your soul, believe in yourself, um, and um, say yes, yes to yourself. And finally, a, a career is a journey where you come closer and closer to your art, authentic self. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that, that's, what you that's what the journey is. Not the hit movie, not the hit record. Not, the journey is... The hit you, basically. Well, one of the most, my favorite thing that really resonated um, um, that you said was when you stopped. When you stopped, you're getting all this work and all this stuff, but it, it wasn't hitting. And, and I'm having that same issue with doing the corporate work where I cannot be fully who I am yeah. because I have to fit into their corporate culture and they pay me a lot of money yeah and, and that's the difference and, between you and me you get paid a lot of money yes yeah. but that it just puts up another roadblock how do you say no to that how, how do you say especially at this time in life where you know life is finite yeah and um how how am i going to lead the last last part of my life when am i finally going to do what I need to do yeah. and get out the stories that I want to get out. And, and it takes a lot of courage to do that. Anyway, Allie, I love you. Love oh, you. I, I, I learned things about you. I, 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 I didn't, I didn't know. Well, I, um, my only hope is that everyone gets to hear you play the accordion. Oh yes. That is her 100 best. 100%. Well, maybe I love you. you've always been fantastic. You know, I think you're hysterical and I think what you're doing here is great. Love you, Allie. Thank you so uh, much for taking the time. You. 
If you would like to learn more about turning your purpose into a career, go to themessageofyou.com where I'll give you free access to my online course. Click the button in the top banner when you get there. If you'd like to learn more about what I'm doing, then go to judycarter.com. Thanks for listening, and let's find your message and launch your career. Thank you.